and welcome to the Carl Road Baptist Church podcast. Be sure to listen all the way through to the end of the episode for additional info on where to find more resources for past sermons, as well as how to watch us live each Sunday if you can't join us in person at our Columbus, Ohio location. Let's prepare to hear this week's sermon and listen for what God is saying to you and what he wants to do in your life. I want to show you a picture up here on the screen of a uh, painting by Peter Bruegel. Now, it may be a little bit hard for you to, to see, but he was a 16th century Dutch painter. And one of his paintings here, it's entitled The Census. And there's a whole lot going on in that painting. It, it portrays that famous census that's referenced in the Bible that brought Joseph and Mary to Bethlehem just before Jesus's birth. Now, the paint doesn't look like it happened in Israel, does it? I mean, the architecture um, doesn't look like the Mideast and there's snow on the ground, but that, that's not really the, the point of Bruegel's painting. Um, it shows a lot of people over there on the left in, in line waiting to be registered, and you can see lots of, of busy people, a lot of active commerce going on. And at first glance, you just think it's a painting of a big crowd of people, right? Um, until you look down at the bottom right-hand corner of it. And there we've kind of been able to blow it up a little bit. And in that picture, you notice there in that corner a, a man pulling a donkey, which is carrying a very pregnant woman. And um, uh, that's obviously Joseph and Mary coming into the town of Bethlehem. And, and maybe, maybe Bruegel's point was that it's easy to miss Joseph and Mary with all that happens during the Christmas season. You, you have to look hard for them to find them. Uh, they, they seem um, insignificant, unimportant in relation to everything else that's going on in that busy scene. And yet we know that they are at the very center of this great divine drama of Jesus's birth. And Christmas itself is, is a bit like that, isn't it? Um, so many people miss the real point of Christmas, and yet at Christmas time, they get so close to it. But they can still miss it because their eyes are on something else. Well, this morning, as you know, is the first Sunday of the Advent season. Wonderful time of year that... Um, uh, is set aside by Christians all over the world to reflect on the meaning of Jesus' birth. And in the first two chapters of the Gospel of Luke, we find four poems that were probably set to music, uh, maybe sung by the very first Christians as an expression of their faith. And over the years, these four poems were given Latin names or titles the Magnificat, the Benedictus, the Gloria and Excelsis, and the Nunc Dimittis. And as a group, we could, um, we could call them the Canticles of the Christ Child. And they're going to be the focus of our Advent season this year. And today, I want us to consider together the song that is attributed to Mary, Jesus' mother. It's called the Magnificat 
which comes from the Latin word magnifico, which means magnify or, or make great. And you remember the story, I'm sure, how an angel had appeared to, to Mary, told her that she would become pregnant with none other than the Messiah, the Savior of the Jewish people. And this pregnancy was going to be supernatural in its origin. And Mary was engaged to a man named Joseph, but they hadn't been intimate yet. And, and Mary was a virgin. And God himself took one of Mary's eggs in her in her womb and miraculously supplied the necessary fertilization, creating a human embryo uh, there in her womb. And, and now, let's be frank about this. People back then and there were no more willing to accept that kind of explanation for Mary's pregnancy than folk do here and now. But that's what Scripture teaches. And perhaps that's why Mary was sent off to visit her cousin Elizabeth. And Elizabeth was experiencing her own miraculous pregnancy, which resulted in the birth of John the Baptist. We'll talk more about that next week. And when these two cousins met, Mary, Elizabeth, the Bible says that the baby inside Elizabeth began to move around in an excited, agitated way. And at that very moment, the Holy Spirit came upon Elizabeth and she spoke a word of prophecy concerning the baby that was developing inside of Mary. And Mary responded, and her words are, are now referred to as the Magnificat. So let's, let's get our Bibles out and read that poem or that song just now. As I said, it's found in uh, Luke chapter 1. And... Um, starting at verse uh, 46 and reading through verse 55. So if you would, put your eyes on God's Word in whatever form you have it there and follow along as I read it this morning. Luke 1, verse uh, 46. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him. From generation to generation, he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. That's the Magnificat. And it reminds us of, of at least three simple but important truths about Christmas that we need to remember and take to heart at the beginning of this wonderful season. First of all, I want you to think with me that, about the fact that Christmas is for the ordinary person. Christmas is for the ordinary person. Um, have you ever noticed that in our culture, there's a great emphasis on finding your self-worth, finding your value, and that could only be true if there exists a tremendous lack of self-worth 
among many people today. I mean, we, we live in a world that seeks to convey self-worth and value in a variety of ways. And often self-worth is often tied up with the concept of success, whatever that is. And in our culture, those two words or concepts, uh, worth or self-worth and success, are almost synonymous. Uh, for example, if you become financially successful, well, of course you'll have self-worth. If you have successful relationships, yeah, you're going to feel good about yourself. But how do you define success? How, for instance, how do you define financial success? What, what, what happens if you lose your job or you experience bankruptcy? Do, do you lose your value then as a person? Uh, what's your definition of educational success? I mean, if you don't have a degree after your name, are you worth less than those who do? Um, how do you define relational success? And what happens if you experience divorce or some other kind of relationship disaster or setback? Uh, do you lose your value or is your self-worth now less as a result? So there's some real problems in equating self-worth with success. And the Bible teaches that a proper sense of self-worth depends ultimately on your relationship with God. In other words, your value as a human being is derived from God. It's not something that you or others convey on yourself, nor is it something that any amount of money or education or achievements in life can give to you either. And here's the thing. If you lack a personal relationship with God through Jesus this morning, it's really no surprise why you struggle with feelings of unworthiness because you're cut off from the real source of your worth, which is God himself, because God is the one who says that you have value. God has established your importance. God says that you have significance. So if for whatever reason you ignore God or you find little use for him in your everyday life, or you try to discover your worth and other things besides God, it's inevitable that a question about your ultimate value is going to creep into your soul. And, and this, is, this is one reason why Jesus came at Christmas. Because all of us, each of us, need a relationship with God desperately, don't we? And it's impossible to be whole, to be complete, to feel truly valuable without this vital personal relationship with God that's made possible through his son, Jesus. Okay, some of you may ask, but, but don't Christians sometimes struggle with feelings of low self-esteem? Indeed, we can. I mean, can a person who's put his or her trust in Jesus still question his or her own worth or value? Of course. Why? Well, because sometimes it's the result of, you know, some emotional damage that's happened in the life of that Christian at an earlier age, or sometimes it's because um, the devil is trying to tear down one of God's children spiritually, you know, spiritual warfare type of a situation. Sometimes it's because uh, we've bought into what our culture preaches, 
that your value and my value is determined by things like money, possessions, achievements, accomplishments, uh, even a lack of problems in life. And, you know, what, what I have found is that just because we love Jesus and possess eternal life doesn't mean that we always think biblically. And when it comes to value and worth, sometimes we don't, we don't think biblically, even as followers of Jesus. And here's where, here's where reflecting on Mary's song, the Magnificat, is helpful to me. Mary admitted that she was not an important person in the world's eyes. She knew that she was way down on the socioeconomic ladder of life. But instead of getting discouraged and depressed over it, she actually rejoiced in it. Look look what she says. Oh, how my soul praises the Lord, how my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he took notice of his lowly servant girl. So think with me just for a moment about Mary. I mean, first of all, she was a woman. And I know you're, you're, you're aware that women had very little status in her day and in her age. And then on top of that, Mary was from a lower class, peasant, uh, blue-collar family, so to speak. There was, there was no pedigree there. There was no credentials. There was, there was nothing noble or well-born about Mary, so to speak. And then, on top of that, she was a virgin. And, you know, we've made so much of that aspect of Mary and her story that we forget that virginity was understood differently back in her day. I mean, back then, when a woman became a wife and a mother, she was given a certain level of respect in that culture. But a young virgin from an inconsequential family was really at the very bottom of what society valued in terms of people and their worth. Forget about just being ordinary. I mean, Mary, by all the ways that people defined human worth and value in her day and age, was a nobody. Plain and simple a nobody. But Mary knew something here that we tend to forget. Well, what's that? Christmas is for the ordinary person because God loves the ordinary person. In fact, God seems to prefer, to prefer showing his mercy, his love, and his power both to and in those who seem least likely to receive or deserve it. God loves ordinary people. God loves unimportant people. God values people who our culture dismisses as being of just kind of marginal worth. And in fact, God seems to focus his time, his energy, his efforts upon exactly those kinds of people. And the Bible explains why uh, this is the case. This is how the message renders a passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Take a good look, friends, at who you were when you got called into this life. I don't see many of the brightest and the best among you. Not many influential. Not many from high society families. 
Isn't it obvious that God deliberately chose men and women that the culture overlooks and exploits and abuses, chose these nobodies to expose the hollow pretensions of the somebodies? Everything that we have, right thinking and right living, a clean slate and a fresh start comes from God by way of Jesus Christ. And when you think about it, Mary is really a fulfillment of those verses. And at the end of the day, it's all about who's going to get the glory. And God always chooses to work in and through people who say through their lives and through their actions, God, it is all about you and not me. And sometimes people that are highly thought of in a worldly sense have a hard time getting there and saying that. But not the ordinary person. God, it's all about you, not me. So here's the thing. If, if you feel just downright ordinary today, rejoice. Be, be, be glad about that. Celebrate how unimportant and insignificant you are. But perhaps, perhaps you feel a lot less than ordinary. Perhaps you feel unworthy. And, and that's something else entirely. I, I, I want to I speak to you if... To, to you today, if there's something in your past that makes you think that God doesn't love you or cannot love you, my friend, you're wrong. You're wrong. Maybe there's a failure or a sin or a heartache or a disappointment that makes you feel as if God doesn't value you. My friend, you're wrong. Uh, maybe you feel as if you're too old or maybe too young, too uneducated, too average, too untalented for God to use you in some way to do his will. My friend, you're wrong. Christmas is all about the ordinary person and God using the ordinary person. That's Mary. Because Jesus came for ordinary people like you and like me. Jesus died for you and me despite the fact that we don't deserve his generous love and grace. Christmas is for the ordinary person. Second truth that I get out of the Magnificat, Christmas is for the needy person. Christmas is for the needy person. Uh, look at what Mary's saying here. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away with empty hands. Now, when, when I use that word needy, Am I talking about people who are literally poor or people who are spiritually poor? You know, there is such a thing as, as spiritual poverty, right? Um, remember what Jesus said about being poor in spirit. And that simply means that you recognize before God that you're needy at all times and in every way before him. You, you know that you're always in his debt and you always will be. You know that you can't ever bestow lasting joy or peace on yourself. You, you know that you can't infuse your own life with the meaning and purpose that it needs for the long haul of life. You can't forgive your own sins. You, you can't give yourself eternal life. You can't earn or deserve a relationship with God. Instead, all you can do is throw yourself upon God and his mercy and his grace every day that you live. And you see, that, that really is... Spiritual poverty. It's acknowledging your need for God that is continual and perpetual. Before him you are and you always will be needy. 
And spiritual poverty is a good thing. It's a wholesome thing. But there's another aspect of being needy here that, that I don't want you to overlook. Mary was probably literally poor, economically poor by any standard of measurement. And you're probably aware that many of the first Christians were literally or economically poor. And many people in the lower classes of that day in the first century, slaves, for example, were the first ones to embrace the good news about Jesus. And many people in developing countries today where the Christian faith is growing by leaps and bounds are economically poor. And a truth emerges from Scripture that we dare not ignore or overlook. God is on the side of those who are poor, who are disadvantaged, who lack economic opportunity. He just is. And both the Old Testament and the New Testament underline this fundamental truth. Look at what Proverbs 19 says. If you help the poor, you are lending to the Lord, and he will repay you. Or this verse from the New Testament Real religion, the kind that passes muster before God the Father, is this. Reach out to the homeless and loveless in their plight and guard against corruption from the godless world. Now, folks, this isn't about glorifying poverty for poverty's sake. This isn't to suggest that you should become poor in order to somehow please God more. This isn't giving in to the illusion that helping a poor person is always going to change his or her life. Sometimes it doesn't. No, instead, this is about making sure that we are on God's side. And God is clearly on the side of those who are literally poor and who lack opportunity in this world. And I don't know about you, but I just want to be on God's side. Amen? Uh, wherever and whatever that happens to be. I don't necessarily have to understand it all. I just want to be on God's side. And for whatever reason, God has a special place in his great heart for those who struggle economically, for those who are in need. And at the very least, I think that means that we're always on the lookout for ways as a church and also personally to serve the poor whether it's right here in our own community or around the world. This isn't about replacing the good news about Jesus with meeting the needs of poor people. We, we don't need to do just one or the other. God's people understand the value of both, and they go about doing both because that's what God wants us to do. We have to make a choice. We can do both. You know, uh, I say all that because... I realize that there may be some folk here today, right here in our midst, or maybe uh, watching by live stream, and you're really struggling financially this morning. And whether you can be classified as being poor, I, I don't know, but perhaps, perhaps you do have a great anxiety overwhelm you about getting just your basic needs met. And I simply want to remind you that God is on your side. Uh, the Magnificate is the one is one place in his word where he, he says that. And, and God will provide. I don't know how. I don't know when or where. Uh, but he will make a way where there seems to be no way. And to the rest of us today, 
who have enough and likely more than enough, let's remember that we're entering into a season where there's no shortage of opportunities to reach out in loving and practical ways to needy people both inside and outside of this church family. Ask God to lead you and guide you to those people. You know, we just had an opportunity. Operation uh, Christmas Child, right? I mean, all those boxes are going to kids who are economically disadvantaged, every last one of them. And that was an opportunity to, to bless them and to encourage them. And we have other opportunities that are being offered to us uh, this year. Uh, some of you, hopefully most of you, received uh, in the mail a, a letter from me this week about our Thanksgiving and Christmas offering, which is being designated, will be designated, for several countries around the world where there is a significant need. Uh, hopefully countries that are represented in our congregation. We're, we're, we're blessed to have a diverse congregation. And again, I want to remind you, if, you're, if you come from another country and you know of uh, real needs and concerns in that country, please let me know because we want to take that offering and divide it up uh, by countries that are nominated, so to speak, right from our own congregation and send some ministry, some church in that country a financial blessing. So that's one way that we can be involved. Uh, another one I also mentioned during an, an announcements, it's inviting our men to deliver those Christmas boxes to needy individuals Saturday, December 18th as a par part of Operation Pure Religion with the Center of Hope. And the Magnificent reminds us that serving the poor is more than just a nice Christmassy thing to do. It's a way of saying to God, Heavenly Father, I'm on your side. I'm on your side. And part and parcel of following Jesus is feeding the hungry and clothing the naked and sheltering the homeless. Christmas is for the ordinary person. Christmas is also for the needy person, needy spiritually and needy literally, because Jesus came for needy people. Well, here's a third truth from the Magnificat that I want to share with you. Christmas is also for the humble person, the humble person. You know, humility is another sweet melody that we hear in Mary's song. Look what, look what she uh, says there in verses 51 and 52. His mighty arm has done tremendous things. He has scattered the proud and haughty ones. He has brought down princes from their thrones and exalted who? Exalted the humble. Yeah. Do you know what is the worst sin of all? pride. Uh, you name it, murder, adultery, fraud, racism, gossip, they all get started because of that deadliest of spiritual cancer cells, pride. I mean, the devil became the devil because of pride. He wanted to be like God. He still does. And, and pride is the underlying cause of any and every misery in our lives, our families, our offices, our schools, our nation, our world. Pride feeds into every other kind of sin out there. And wouldn't it be great if pride just got zapped and eliminated the moment we put our trust in Jesus 
and we're born again. Wouldn't that be great? Instead, you and I can fall prey to maybe the worst kind of pride. What's that? Spiritual pride. Wow. You know, what's interesting when you read the Gospels, Jesus was able to tolerate and be patient with just about every kind of sin except one. He simply could not stomach and deal with the spiritual pride of the Pharisees and those other religious leaders who became his enemies. Why? Because, my friend, as long as you're proud, you can't ever really know or love God. And you know that you've been in God's presence authentically when you're overwhelmed by his bigness and his holiness and his significance. And, and when that happens, here's what I guarantee will happen. You, will, you cannot help but come face to face with your own smallness, your own uncleanness, your own insignificance in light of who God is. And yes, that revelation can be uncomfortable, to say the least, but it's necessary if you want to really know God. And in addition, proud people uh, aren't just wrong with God. Uh, in inevitably, they're going to be wrong with other people too. And so pride has this way of damaging every relationship that it touches. And God wants to, God wants to work humility into your life and to mine. So how does he go about doing that? True humility isn't some kind of groveling, sniveling sort of thing. Instead, it, mean, it means coming to God and before God with empty hands each and every day, throwing ourselves completely on his grace and on his mercy. It means living every day on the basis of what he's done for you rather than on the basis of what you think you've done for him. What matters is what he's done for you. And one clear-cut uh, evidence of, humili of humility is a profoundly and consistently grateful heart attitude. I mean, here we are just a few days from Thanksgiving Day. Were you thankful? Were you grateful? Good. But you know what? Humble people are thankful 365 days a year doesn't matter. You don't have to have a Thanksgiving day to be grateful because if you're humble, you're, you're automatically grateful. You just can't quite get over uh, what God has done for you. you. You remain in awe of God and what he's done for you all of your life. And that, that grateful attitude uh, changes how you relate to other people as well. Of course it will. I mean, you, you no longer waste any spiritual energy feeling either judgmental toward other people or superior to anybody else. I mean, you're, you're just so grateful that God loves you, that he's accepted you, that he's forgiven your faults and failings eternally. And Christmas is this, it's this yearly reminder that you and I were in such desperate need that God had to send a baby to save us. And that baby was the one of whom Mary sang here none other than the Lord Jesus Christ, her Son, our Savior. Christmas is for the humble person because Jesus came for humble people. Many of you know uh, or have heard of Lee Strobel. Perhaps you've, 
you've read some of his books, very popular Christian author. And he tells a, he tells a compelling story about something that happened to him before he became a follower of Jesus. At the time, he was a journalist, and he was um, on the staff of the Chicago Tribune newspaper. Spiritually, at this point in his life, Lee Strobel was an atheist. And he was assigned by his editor to go out and uh, write a story about some poor, struggling uh, inner-city family uh, as they, in the weeks that preceded Christmas. Well, the first time that he met the Delgado family, he was amazed. The Delgado family was made of, up of 60-year-old Perfecta and her two granddaughters, uh, 11-year-old uh, Lydia and 13-year-old Jenny. And they had just recently been burned out of their roach-infested tenement and were now living in a tiny two-bedroom apartment. And um, talk about having nothing. I mean, they were, they were pretty bereft of almost everything. I mean, there was, there was no furniture. There were no rugs. There were no pictures on the wall. I mean, literally about all that they had was, was a small kitchen table and a handful of rice. And um, the, the, the two granddaughters, uh, Lydia and Jenny, they had one short sleeve dress each. And they had one thin gray sweater that they had to share between the two of them. Um, it was about a half a mile walk from their apartment to their school. You imagine what that was like in the middle of a Chicago winter. And what they would do is they would, they would uh, Liddy would start off wearing that sweater and about halfway to the school, she'd take it off and give it to her shivering sister. That's what they did. But what was amazing was um, the attitude of Perfecta and these two granddaughters and the quality and the depth of their faith in Jesus. They, they didn't believe that God had abandoned them. There's no despair. There was no self-pity. Instead, there was sort of a calm sense of hope and peace. So anyway, Lee Strobel went back. He wrote his, his story for the newspaper. It got published. But he couldn't, he couldn't get the Delgados out of his mind. I mean, he, he just kind of kept thinking about the contrast between them and him. I mean, here, was, here were these three ladies with absolutely nothing materially, but they were richly endowed with faith. And in contrast, here was Lee Strobel without one scintilla of faith, but he had everything that he needed materially. In fact, uh, looking back on Lee Strobel said he felt his own life felt as empty and barren as the Delgado's apartment did. Well, Christmas Eve day came, which apparently is a slow news day. So uh, Lee Strobel decided that he would go and visit the Delgados and just kind of see what was happening, what was going on. So he went to their apartment, and he was amazed by what he saw. Some of the people who had read his article in the newspaper decided to do something 
about the Delgado situation. And my goodness, there were, there were bags of food everywhere. There was, there was new furniture. Uh, there were new rugs. Somebody had donated a, a Christmas tree, and there were, there were stacks of wrapped Christmas gifts uh, around, the, around the tree. And, and um, there was a, a, a fair amount of cash that had been donated to the family as well. But what was even more interesting to Lee Strobel was uh, the reaction of the Delgados to this, this new wealth. They were already in the process of giving most of it away. And, um, you know, he went and he asked uh, Perfect, he said, why, why are you giving all this stuff away? And she said, well, she said, our neighbors are still in need. We, uh, we, we can't have all this plenty while, while they have nothing. Besides, this is, this is what Jesus would want us to do. He says, well, well, yeah, but what, what about the people that were so generous in giving you these gifts? And she said, well, it's wonderful what they've done. We, we didn't deserve any of it. It's, it's God's gift to us. And then she went on. She said, but you know, God's greatest gift is what he did tomorrow, Christmas Day. He gave us Jesus. And looking back on that experience, Lee Strobel said that he experienced Jesus in those ordinary, needy, humble people on Christmas Eve. Christmas is for the ordinary person. Christmas is for the needy person. Christmas is for the humble person. And when you find those people, <laughs> you usually find Jesus. Let's pray. Father, your ways are not our ways. Your thoughts are not our thoughts. And um, the story of Christmas highlights that so beautifully. You, you use this ordinary teenager, Mary, on the bottom ladder, as ordinary as they come, and it was in her and through her that you gave us the gift of Jesus because she was the person that could say, Lord, it's all about you, not about me. And Lord, we thank you for the ways that you demonstrated what's important to you and what you value in the whole Christmas story. And Father, as we move into this wonderful season of the year, may, may we remember that you came for ordinary people like us. You came for people who are needy and will recognize their need, and you came for those who are humble, not for those who are proud, but for those who are humble. And so, Lord... Um, May we rejoice when we see those qualities in us and may we become your hands and feet to those in our families, in our community, in our world that um, need to experience your love and your grace, whether it be a word to tell them about Jesus or a meal or a gift or in some other way to demonstrate 
to them that they are valuable to you, that they matter to you. So thank you, Lord, for this, uh, this wonderful song that Mary gave us and for this wonderful Christmas season. We thank and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. tuning in to the Carl Road Baptist Church podcast. We hope you found something that can be applied to your life today and into the future. You can always watch our past services or see them live on YouTube, Facebook, and our website at www.carlroadbaptist.org. That's Carl with a K-A-R-L, roadbaptist.org. If you search YouTube or Facebook, look for Call Road Baptist Church, and don't forget to subscribe or follow us if you are watching via a service that allows that so you can stay up to date and notified when another episode is ready for you to watch or listen to. Thanks again for sharing your time with us and putting in the effort to maintain your relationship with God. Have a fantastic week, and we look forward to growing alongside you in the future with the next episode of the KRBC Podcast.